0: How many of you here were Sam Nadler shared? How many of you heard Billy Rutledge shared? Our men's? Okay. So, you know, we had uh, Billy share uh, back, uh, I can't remember the time. It, was, it seems like forever ago, but it was only like seven weeks ago or so, at our men's, uh, men's conference that we did right here. And then Sam shared, uh, and what a blessing he was as well. And, I, you know, just talking to the Lord and preparing, now I had already had in my heart to do the eternally-minded dad just like I did the eternally-minded mom on Mother's Day. But I'm like, Lord, what can I tell these guys that they didn't hear from Billy, who was so anointed when he shared, and, and from Sam? What could I possibly tell them? But you know the cool thing about God is he never has a lack of something to give. And I really spent extra time with the Lord uh, in the midst of a really uh, packed week uh, with things that were outside of just normal study and and ministering, but uh, the Lord definitely has things to say to us as it relates to Eternally Minded Dad. And I think the ultimate thing, what God wants to do, is not that we would know, but that we would commit and apply it. Turn with me to a couple of places. Uh, First one is Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You may remind... You may remember that Sam referred, Sam Nadler, uh, being a, a messianic Jewish pastor of a, of a congregation that's about 50% Jewish there in Charlotte, he referred to this uh, as it's known in the community there as the Mahavta. uh Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting with uh, verse 5, and I'll read verses 5 through 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Written to Israel. And to the fathers of Israel for certain, but also written to us as dads as well. Here, uh, verse 5 You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, you shall teach them diligently. You might want to circle that one. Diligently to your children, as well as you can uh, circle all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It seems pretty inclusive of everything, doesn't it? In other words, if you're breathing... You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and your gates. Not sticky notes, engrave it, that you not forget these things. Turn with me now to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4. Last book of the Old Testament. Just go to Matthew and go left. Last chapter, last verse of the Old Testament. Last thing the Lord says before the silent years. When the Messiah comes, the silence is broken. When Jesus comes. Malachi chapter 4, last verse of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant, the Tanakh, verse 6. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. A greater curse, because the earth is already under a curse. Isn't that wonderful? God is going to turn the hearts of fathers to children and the hearts of children to fathers. Not, he doesn't talk the last of the Old Testament. He doesn't say, Mom's here. This one's addressed to the dads. And then turn with me Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6.4. Ephesians 6.4. One from the New Testament. Now, I'm not going to read verses 1, 2, and 3, but just before Paul uh, pens the fourth verse, notice the verses above are the Old Testament. Paul speaks from the Old Testament as the text For this statement in the fourth verse, Ephesians 6, 4, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. The first is a warning, but the second is a discipleship or a commandment of what we must do. The opposite of what fathers would naturally do is to provoke their children to wrath. That's the natural thing to do. But the second is not natural. But bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. This is to diligently teach. The same thing that Moses said there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, to diligently teach. But to train them up in the training, bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. I used to think, <laughs> you know, when I first read that verse, I used to think that verse, and some of you may still think this, uh, uh, that that verse has something to do with uh, dads teasing their children until they get mad. Uh, that's just fun. Uh, that's something we, uh, no, I'm kidding. All dads do a little bit of that. Uh, that's called, I always tell my kids, I only do that because I love you. I tease the ones I love. But you don't uh, you know, want to overdo that either. You want that to be led by the Spirit. And quite frankly, you'll find that your kids actually like that. If you stop doing that, why don't you do that anymore? You know, so that's not what the verse is talking about. We'll get to what it is talking about. Provoking them to wrath is something altogether different. If you're taking notes, again, the title of uh, our time in God's Word today is The Eternally Minded Dad. The part two, if you will, to what we did on Mother's Day, The Eternally Minded Mom. And we'll look at three characteristics of what I believe the Scriptures clearly teach what God wants to see in eternally minded fathers or dads. Number one, he's committed. He's committed. All his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength, diligently teaching, admonishing, takes commitment. He's committed. Number two, he's compassionate. What's that, What's that got to do with an eternally minded debt? Compassionate. We'll, t- we'll take a look at the nature of Christ and God himself. Of course, Jesus and Christ are one in the Holy Spirit, but compassionate. He's compassionate. And then lastly... He's courageous. This is something we see less and less in men, as men of courage. Men that won't shrink back. Men that because the power of God flows through them, they move forward and not retreat. And even willing to admit, when they have retreated, is courage in and of itself. Amen? Um, I read this story. There's a story about a gentleman named Boswell, the famous biographer of Samuel Johnson. In his advanced years, Boswell reflected on the most important day of his life. He said it occurred one day during his youth when his father had invited him to go fishing, while most of his childhood days had long since been forgotten. During that one day, Boswell said he learned what life was about through example. Some industrious historian decided to track down the diary of Boswell's father to see how he reflected on that most important day in the life of his famous son. The entry to his father's journal, Went fishing today with my son, a whole day wasted. Many fathers have a false value system, don't they? It's not new for 2013. It's existed for as long as there's been fathers. Many fathers have a false value system. Even when they do what is right, they don't understand or recognize the value and continue to reinvest in what is actually most important. Did you catch that? Even when they do what's right, they don't understand its value, and they don't reinvest in it. Oftentimes... It's because of self centeredness, sometimes laziness. There's genuine ignorance based on not being taught by their own fathers or godly men. And there's the constant, and I mean constant, from TV, from media, from internet, from books from magazines, from anything and everywhere you can think of, from the God of this age, Satan himself, there's the constant drumbeat of the world that espouses the false notion of fatherhood and lies on fulfillment and getting the most out of life. Satan's the father of what? Lies. You guys knew the answer to that. The eternally minded dad sees things from God's perspective, even before his children would teach it to him. In this case, this young man would have been able to teach his dad, No, 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 dad, your value system's wrong. Eternally minded dad sees things from God's perspective. The more I study the scriptures, the more I see that God has so much more for us dads and our families that we, even as believers in Christ, are currently receiving. Anyone agree with that? A lot more than we're actually receiving. Jesus wants to give us abundantly more. Many of us are eating scraps, and therefore our families are eating scraps. Our wives are eating scraps. The children are eating scraps. And in some cases, worse. Men, think about this for a moment. Really think about this for a moment. Maybe you haven't thought about this in a while. Maybe you've never thought about this. I want you to think about this for just a moment. We, as fathers... Bear the name of God in our title. I don't know if you've thought about that. Father. It's the title. Remember, Jesus said when you pray, our Father, to which we've been commanded by Christ to pray when we're coming to God. It's one of the glorious names of Jesus, everlasting Father. In addition to his many other wonderful names, but Father. Women and moms, you have very special calling, purpose, blessings, and and women and moms have in their makeup certain attributes that are wonderful attributes of God. But they do not bear the title of father, do they? That's reserved for men. Why? Why is this? Because men are called to lead a family, but listen to this, not just lead a family. They're called to, Moses talked about it there in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Actually, he was just telling the people what God told them. Men are called to lead their family to God. Lead the family to God. Inside the title of father. Think about this as well, men. Inside the title of father, there's four equal pillars, right? Right? You guys are all sitting on chairs with four legs. The strength is in all four legs. Put three, somebody's falling. Two, even worse, right? Three, you can kind of balance it a little bit. If you're in good, pretty good shape, and you're, but you put two legs on there, it becomes a lot harder. Get down to one leg, but inside the title of father are four biblical pillars that fathers are called to fulfill. Number one is priest. What does that mean? You are bringing your family to the Lord in prayer. You see this in Job. He would actually confess the sins of his family. So the priestly role, that of interceding to the Lord on behalf of the family. The second one is prophet. What is that? That's actually to teach the truth. Well, where do we find truth? You have to teach it from God's Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That's why Moses says you have to teach it diligently. Teach it diligently. Teach it diligently. Teach. That's the prophet role within the title of father for all fathers. The third one, also important, provider. Provider. You're the provider, not the government. You. Through God. Actually, God is our. See, all these things, you actually get them from God. Where do you get the role to be priest? From God. Where do you get the role to be prophet? From God. How do you become a provider? From God. In the Old Testament, they really understood this principle because you couldn't provide if God didn't send R-A-I-N, rain. Right? You could be the best farmer in the world. God didn't send rain. They didn't have big irrigation systems. And you needed God to be a provider. And then... Fourth one is a protector. What are you protecting your family from? Well, the biggest one you're protecting your family from is the lies of the world. The spirit of this age. You're protecting your children from the one who would like to snatch them out of your hands and right into hell. That's the protector role. Yes, you also protect them from other dangers and, you know, when your child is little, you protect them from burning their hand on the stove, and you protect them from so many other things. But ultimately, it's to protect them from the spirit of this world. The eternally minded dad, he learns directly from his father, God our Savior, who is the only one, and this is good to remember because we all fail, who is the only one who perfectly fulfills these four roles. Amen. Title of Father, four pillars underneath it. But only God himself fulfills these roles perfectly. The rest of us have failed, will fail, are failing, but God doesn't give us any excuse there, does he? He would redirect us back to the same passage as I just read and said, I know you've fallen. The righteous man may fall seven times, but it's time to get up. And reapply that which I've told you to do. Just how important are fathers, let alone godly fathers, to a family, to a nation, to a society? In 1993, Charles Murray identified illegitimacy as the single most important problem of our time because it drives everything else, every other problem he felt could be derived back to illegitimacy. Sadly, things are worse now than in 1993. Would you agree? And the statistics bear it out. Today... More than the illegitim- uh, today, the illegitimacy rate in the United States is more than forty-one percent. More than forty-one percent. More than four out of every ten children today begin their life without a father. That's sad. Young men who grow grow up in homes without fathers are twice as likely to end up in jail as those who come from traditional two-parent families. 63% of youth suicides are from the fatherless home. 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders come from the fatherless home. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. Children from low... Now, this is an amazing one here. This defies anything you'll see from people that are trying to espouse something other than truth... Children from low-income, two-parent families, outperform students from high-income, single-parent families. Hmm. I thought money was the answer to every problem. That's what you'll hear. Just throw more money at it. Money doesn't solve any problems, folks. Money creates a lot of problems. Now, God uses money for his glory, but God doesn't need money to produce godly children. Amen? Amen. Some of the greatest men that have ever lived. Abraham Lincoln did not come from money. You look at almost twice as many high achievers. Look at this one. Almost twice as many high achievers come from two-parent homes as one-parent homes. We spend more on social welfare in America, nearly $1 trillion now, state and federal combined, than our national defense. Nearly a trillion dollars. You know what you can buy with a trillion dollars? A lot. This does not include incarcerations, drug addiction programs, health care, or what churches and nonprofits spend on social assistance that are actually the majority of those cases can be traced back to a lack of fathers being present and actually owning and walking in their responsibility. Doesn't even include all that other category. Uh, I, I shudder to think what the number would be, I'm sure it would be another trillion. I could go on and on, but the evidence is overwhelming. Fathers are essential by God's design. Amen? They're essential by God's design. It doesn't matter if man doesn't think it's essential. Man's wrong a lot. Right? Man cannot create a federal government father that will ever replace God's plan for families. Now, I want to say something for a second here to moms without husbands, or if you're a child or a young person here, and you don't have your dad. Because I spent part of my life without two parents. I know something about that. Many of you probably have experienced that in your own life. Why wouldn't you? That's common in America. Four out of every 10 plus, and that's not including future divorces and all these other things. This is just, we're at the starting point. So if you are a single mom here, or if you're a a young person and you don't have two parents, and, and more specifically, if you don't have a father, I want you to know, and this is from God, not from me, God will be your husband, God will be your father. Amen? It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, God will step in and be the husband and be the father if you don't have that. So God wants to encourage you. Psalm 68, 5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God never forgets the fatherless or the, the single moms. He'll step in when dads have abdicated their responsibility God the Father will step in. That's why it's so important for every person to come to Jesus Christ because he fulfills what is lacking. But I also want us to look briefly now at these three characteristics of the eternally minded dad that are outlined in the scriptures but are so often lacking even in the body of Christ. Why is this important? Because if you are a young man growing up without a father, God doesn't want you to perpetuate it. He wants you to turn and start a whole new record of righteousness. Amen? God doesn't want people that were abused to turn into abusers. God doesn't want people that grew up in alcoholic homes to become alcoholics. He wants to do fresh new starts, the opposite of perpetuating from the second, third, fourth, and fifth generations. That's why it's important when we talk about fathers. Yes, we speak to those of you that are currently fathers, and we speak to those that will be future fathers. Because God wants you to know what the four pillars are, what these characteristics are, these three that we'll take a look at. The first being he's committed. A lot of dads are committed to a lot of things, but Christ is rarely one of them in the United States of America and around the world too. We've got men that are extremely committed in foreign countries to Hinduism. Extremely committed to Islam. Extremely committed to careers. Not just in the United States, but around the world. This is a common thing in Japan, for example, where we have Michael Snyder serving there. Career worship is is right up there with ancestry worship if you live in Japan. But here in the United States, same thing. I mean, men are committed to a lot of things, but Christ is usually not one of them. Only a... I know how many people name to be Christians in the United States, but that doesn't mean anything. I've said before, I can claim to be Tiger Woods. Take me golfing, you'll find out it was a lie. Right? I neither look like him, and I certainly don't play golf like him. But I like to do it. I dabble in it. And that's where, although I haven't done it ever since my neck surgery, but, uh, but a lot of guys dabble in following Christ. That's not following Christ. This is the first commitment. We know the two commandments. Moses spoke on them in the sixth chapter, and then Jesus reiterated them. You shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. First commandment is to love Jesus Christ with all that you have. And in the descending order, then it'll be your wife, then it'll be your children, and then it'll be providing all the things that God has asked us to do as believers in Christ. Notice career wasn't number one there. Sports wasn't number one there. Hobbies weren't number one. For many fathers, it goes something like this Uh, I got work here, hobbies here, yard work, uh, children, because I I can't mess, I can't can't forget them. They at least got to make the top five. And then my wife, the, the the old lady does pretty good without me. That's not my town right now. I've heard people talk like that. Oh, You want to you you make God angry? Show him a list like that. It infuriates God. Why? Because the children will fall away into the hands of Satan. Satan loves that list, by the way. Yeah, put them in the top five. Put your wife in the top five. Put your kids in the top five. Uh, And even to self-deceive yourself into thinking they're actually number one or two when they're really not. Because when you look at the time you spend, where really is it? And certainly Christ, at the number one spot of Lord and Master and Savior, where is that really in men? Certainly in eternally minded men, that is the focus to continue to say, Lord, I present myself to you a living sacrifice. You gave your life for me, I give it back to you, and as I do, you'll help me to come, become priest, prophet, provider, protector. I can't do it without you, so I'll follow you no matter the cost. C.S. Lewis said, We're, We are not necessarily doubting that God will do the best for us. We are wondering how painful the best will turn out to be. You know what he's saying? He says it's not that guys and gals don't understand that they should give their all to God. It's that they're afraid that it will hurt. So they won't. Which is a horrible decision, especially if you have children. Because they'll make the same decision. Amen? Well, at least it didn't hurt. My kids aren't following Christ. Don't even know if they're saved. But at least I didn't have to go through the pain of really following Jesus, putting my hand at the plow and not turning back. So many men and fathers decide not to fully commit to Christ, and therefore they've lowered or they have non-existent commitments to the other God-given responsibilities. First among them is to surrender to Jesus, and then right after it is to faithfully love and lead our wives. Just like we were, for moms, you remember on Mother's Day, we looked at Proverbs chapter 31, and we, and we looked at the same characteristics, uh, we looked at different characteristics, but we looked at the same principle, what was an eternally minded mom? And, and we understood that it starts in the same thing, the eternally minded mom must be first committed to Christ, above everything else. Then her husband is right next on the list. Same thing with husbands, first committed to Christ. Dads, It's not only okay, it's commanded to love Jesus more than your wife. Now, when you do that, you're going to love your wife infinitely more than you ever have before. If you don't love your wife here today, I mean, and I don't mean love it because you can say it, I mean your actions actually bear it out. If you don't, you don't love Jesus Christ. Because the two go hand in hand. Once you love the Lord Jesus you will automatically, by byproduct, become a lover of people. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. We were talking about that on Wednesday night. You don't have to learn how to love yourself. You already do. All of us do. We take pretty good care of ourselves for the most part. But we have to learn to love others. And it starts by loving Christ, the eternally minded dad, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let me emphasize that again. With the help of the Holy Spirit, because there's nothing good in you and me. Right? There's nothing redeeming about me or you. But Christ is the one that redeems. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we as men begin to take constant inventory as we spend time with Jesus. We take constant inventory of our relationship with the Lord And then of our wives, we always want to do first things first, right? First things first, not last things first. It's not wrong to have hobbies. You guys know I love college football. I love all kinds of. I'd watch two mice play football if it was on. You know, uh, you know, I, I love stuff like that. You think I'm kidding? But those things, they're, they're not wrong, but they have their place. Jesus has his place, and it's on the throne. My wife has her place, and it's right after the Lord Jesus, as far as my responsibility and caring for and having that right relationship. First with the Lord, boy, when I'm, my walk is right with the Lord, my walk with my wife is beautiful. Either one gets out of balance. They both dive down the list. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. He'll show you the outline. He will not show you a different outline than the first three or four that I've talked about. He will never show you a different outline than him, your spouse, your children. You'll never see a different outline than that first three. You never will, if you have children. And then you'll have others right after that. Just like the eternally minded mom, again, men, after Christ we turn directly to the person God has fitted us with and we begin to love and to serve and to care for them. You remember back in the Garden of Eden, there was the original sin and God turned to Adam. I, I did a marriage renewal uh, vows uh, this, Thursday, this past Thursday night and I talked about that, that, that The greater responsibility always lies with the man than the woman. It's one of, if you're going to bear the title of father, which is a a mirror reflection of one of the titles of God, you get certain responsibilities that come with the territory, and one is you are the buck stops there. Problems in the home, it starts with you. And so the Lord will look to us first. And in Malachi chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but we read from Malachi chapter 4 already uh, but in Malachi chapter 2, God calls out the husbands back in ancient Israel. It's the husbands that he calls out for the rise of divorce in Israel at that time. Huh, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Have we ever experienced a rise in divorce in this country? Oh, absolutely. The last 50 years, it's just... And, and now we might pacify ourselves because statistically we see not a rise in divorce, but that's comical because what we actually have is people not getting married in the first place now. So single moms never entered into marriage at all. They just had a child and they were never married. That is a massive rise. So you take those two numbers together, and it's really sobering. But in Malachi chapter 2, 14, verse, Malachi chapter two, verse 14 through 16, listen to what God says to the men of Israel. They were the ones God pinpointed as the problem to the rise of divorce. He doesn't call out the women, He calls out the men. He says, "Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth." He's not speaking to the wife. He says, "Between you men and the wife of your youth, with whom you have dealt treacherously." God says, the men had dealt treacherously with their wives, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. God is saying, you have a bad value system. You do not understand you're under covenant, and you do not understand she's your companion, and I gave her to you. But He did not make them one, but did He not make them one? Having a remnant of the Spirit. See, God says your marriage relationship should exhibit the Holy Spirit, the oneness in Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus said, uh, prayed about this in John uh, 17. Make them one, even as we are one. And why one? Here's the clincher of the outgrowth of this He seeks godly offspring. Hmm. Let's stop there for one second, and I'll, and I'll finish the rest of the. Verses. He seeks godly offspring. So, if there's a rise in divorce, God would point out the men as the problem. Number two, if there's a rise in divorce, men have lost sight of the value of the covenant of their relationship. They dealt treacherous or wise. And what would be the opposite of godly offspring? Children incarcerated, addicted to drugs, suicidal, teen pregnancies, name on and on and on you go. These would be the opposite of godly offspring. Israel saw it in the ancient times. God judged the nation for it, and God pointed to the men and said, because you have dealt treacherously in your very own homes. He goes on to say, therefore, take heed to your spirit. Wake up. Come to your senses. And let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth, for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. He hates not ever getting married in the first place, and substituting different relationships for it. But in all these things, God says, look, this is the problem. And men, I'm calling upon you to repent first. When you do it, the whole family will follow. You've heard me cite the statistics. Over 90%, when the dad gets saved first, over 90% of the time, the whole family gets saved. When mom gets saved first, it's about 18% of the family. 18% of the time, the whole family gets saved. Did you catch that? When mom gets saved first, about 18% of the time, the whole family gets saved. But when dad gets saved first, 90% of the time plus, the whole family comes to Christ. Isn't that amazing? It's it's almost like God knows exactly what he's talking about. (laughs) Of course he does. He wrote the book I don't look at the owner manual for my Ford Explorer for your Nissan. I look at the Ford Explorer's manual because it was written by Ford, for Ford, and God wrote to men, for men, um, telling them exactly what they would need to do to be an eternally minded dad. To do anything, other words, would be completely foolish or disobedient. Take your pick, right? There's only two options. Either I don't want to hear it, or I will not. But either way, you couldn't possibly say, but any dad in here that loves cars or anything else, if I told him, hey, I got the problem to your car, Uh, read this comic book, he'd look at me like I was losing my mind. And yet, if I would say something other than the real problems in their life, it's actually you're not following the scriptures, I don't need, I, 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 I got other ways to fix it. Really? Well, you've got a lot of company called millions of dads that have tried it and are failing miserably across the United States. Amen? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 26. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might what? Sanctify her and cleanse her with the washing of the word. This is a high, high bar to live up to, isn't it? Jesus is perfect. I'm here to tell you I have never loved my wife as Christ loved the church. So why in the world would God write something that I have never accomplished, nor has anybody else? Because we would continually depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And we would stay in the Word of God. And we would stay in prayer. And we would grow and mature being conformed to the image of Christ, even though we aren't instantaneously turned into the full image of Christ. That comes when we get to heaven. But I should be a better husband in 2013 than I was in 2003. And so should you. By God's grace, He does that work. Now let's look at the second thing under He's committed. We know that the wife comes under the Lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, then our spouse, but then it's our children. Here's where that role of father. Now, by the way, again, you sabotage the role of fathers. If you do not love your wife, if Christ loved the church, your kids know it. They know if your relationship with your wife is fake. If you argue and yell at your spouse, your kids are not Deaf. Just because they have earbuds, it didn't mean they didn't notice it or observe it. Maybe they have earbuds and they don't want to hear it anymore. Amen? Not that they don't see that they do see it. And so, if we don't love our wives first, our kids will notice it. If it's fake, if it's phony, if it's not genuine, they will notice. And they start to say, well, if God's really real, this wouldn't be happening, so... They begin to fall away in their hearts. They won't even show it on the outside for a while. Sometimes it didn't show up for years later, which is even more sad. You wish they would say it at that time because it'd be easier to deal with. But our kids are watching. Listen to this story. Kind of humorous, but it kind of illustrates the point. That our kids watch how we handle things. After tucking their three year old son, child Sam in bed. One night, his parents heard sobbing coming from his room. Rushing back in, they found him crying hysterically. He had told them that he had swallowed a penny, and he was sure he was going to die. No amount of talking helped. His father, in an attempt to calm him down, palmed a penny from his pocket and pretended to pull it from Sam's ear. Sam was delighted. He snatched it from his father's hand, swallowed it, and cheerfully demanded, Do it again, Dad. Our kids see, here's a dad that's really trying, but our kids are watching how we handle everything. How we love mom, how we handle problems, how we counsel them. And they believe what you say to a certain extent. But if what you do is not what you say, That's problematic. But if what you say comes from your own self as opposed from the Word of God, that's not good either. K.P. O'Hannon in his book, Crisis in Leadership. and Boy, do we have a crisis in leadership at every level in the United States, right? From Washington to the household. He said, "When when we as leaders depend on ourselves, we are limited to our own resources. Instead of putting our faith in God and tapping into a much greater supply of help, strength, energy, motivation and encouragement we will find ourselves quickly running out of what we have unable to meet the needs and the expectations on us dads we need we need, to, we need to have obedience first love our wives as Christ loved the church genuinely love our children but then we have to have obedience unto Christ in doing it we need the wisdom of God's word the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and actually when problems much bigger than a penny swallowed come up How do we, Lord, how do we disciple our child at this moment? How do we lead them? How do we lead them before the fact that they don't swallow pennies? Or worse, swallow the lies of Satan? How do we lead them so those things don't happen in the first place? We can't prevent everything, but we can prevent a whole lot more than we are if we would arm our kids in the Lord. And dads, this is why Moses said, It's going to take a lot of work. You're going to have to nail it between the eyes. You're going to have to nail it on the doorpost. You're going to have to put it in the front of eyes. Oh, by the way, as long as you're breathing, keep saying these things to your kids because they'll forget that you told them last week. Just like you'll forget what God told you a week ago. And me too. That's why I have to be in His Word every single day. And so when Ephesians is saying in Ephesians 6, 4, provoking to wrath, what does that mean? Well, provoking to wrath... It's not teasing our kids and doing silly things, although you can overdo that. the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom, even on things like that. The Holy Spirit will say, "That's enough. Any more of that, and they won't respect you. That's important, dads. If all you are is the comedian, they'll never respect you. I have to guard against. Like, I like to have fun. You think when I preach, I don't like to have fun. I actually do. I'm telling you what God wants you to know. If it was up to me, it would be more humorous. But God's not humored by what's happening. He, his heart is grieved by what's happening. And so provoking to wrath is failing to lead our children to salvation. That's what it really is. It's failing to lead our children to salvation. You, wrath is a massively powerful word. That's why you know it's not teasing. Uh, Don't provoke your children to getting upset. Upset is way... Wrath is actually God pouring out vengeance and judgment. Where does that happen? We see wrath in the tribulation. We see wrath in the lake of fire. Right? When the day of the Lord comes, he will pour out the wrath of God. Wrath Wrath is more than you can comprehend vengeance of the Lord. I will not be here when God pours out his wrath, and I pray none of us are, amen? Amen. I will not be cast in the lake of fire. That's wrath. Fathers that provoke their children to wrath are fathers that never led them to salvation and provoked them to the point that their hypocritical life, their apathetic life, their mistreatment of their mom, whatever it may be, their dedication to career, all these things provoke the child to say, I don't want Jesus either. I'm going to follow dad. And therefore... Wrath will fall if the child dies in that state. And Paul's like, look, if nothing else, would you really want to see your kids go that route? Of course not. It it breaks my heart when I see, it's one thing when I see adults make a decision for themselves. It's really, oh man, it makes me angry when I see them make the decision for a child. Jesus said it this way, it would be better that a millstone tied around your neck and you cast into the sea than you lead one little one away from me. Wow. Jesus said that? He said it would be better to tie a millstone around dad's necks that would leave their kid and throw them into the sea? Yep. Have you ever read it? It's in there. It's a, it's a sobering thing that God says, do not, do not, do not. I desire godly offspring. I desire godly offspring. Don't mislead them. Make sure you diligently teach them. And if the fathers will not turn their hearts to children, last verse of the Old Testament, I'll send a greater curse on the earth than there already is. This is how serious it is. Very serious. We're told to diligently teach, to admonish, to train up. That, guys, that takes work. It takes a lot of work. And you're tired. That's why you need the help of the Holy Spirit. Most of the things that God asks us to do are difficult. Most of them are hard. And that's why we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Most of the things that God asks me to do, in my flesh, I don't really want to do them. Outreach yesterday. You know? Hard work. I'd have rather been eating a waffle. Right? Kicking back. Right? Th- that's fun for me. Well, but it, it has no value. Waffles are worse than no value. They have bad values. <laughs> they actually... A lot of syrup, all that good stuff. But we're supposed to teach kids. What does what teaching our children mean? Dads, how many of you are... This teaching and admonishing, it's called discipleship. How many of you are discipling your children? I mean discipling them. No, I leave that up to the church. Really? That won't work. You're their dad. We we come together as families with a unified trust and belief in God and the scriptures, but you're their dad, not anyone else. God's given them to you, to disciple. What does it mean to disciple them? To teach them to love the Lord Jesus and to walk in Him. You first have to lead them to salvation, to a place they would get saved and desire to be baptized, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to walk in the Spirit. How about this one? Teaching them to pray. Well, I don't pray much myself. Exactly. That goes back to the first one. Committed to Christ. Once you commit to him, you say, I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to walk with him and talk with him. That's what prayer is. It's a relationship with God. It's formed out of obedience. And, of course, when we obey, we love. Jesus said, why do you? Anyone that, or actually he said a number of things, but one of the things in 1 John, if you love him, you'll keep his commandments. And you'll pray, and you'll teach your children how to pray. You'll teach them how to give. We teach our daughters, you know, it's, uh, when you give a tithe to the Lord, it doesn't mean that God owns 10%. He actually owns 100%. He's, he's saying, by faith, remember, don't ever forget, I own 100%. And you give 10%, and even more as you grow in Christ, to me. Teaching them to give. Teaching them to fast. The more you, t- you know, learn that yourself and your kids, will they'll actually fast from something on their own. They'll come to you and say, I want to give this up for a week. And just... Draw closer to Jesus. Teaching them how to worship. Worship is not something you just do when the worship team does it on Sunday morning, but you uh, sometimes, hey, let's sing a worship song to God around a family Bible study. Teaching them to be fishers of men. This is incredibly um, insightful when you understand. When Jesus said this to Peter, what was Peter's occupation? He was a fisher. Whose business did he learn from and inherit his fathers. Jesus was teaching a deeper truth than just say, hey, like you fish for fish, I'm going to pinky you fish for men. He said, like your father taught you how to fish, you will then teach others how to be fishers of men. Now, oh, that was probably just for the apostles. That couldn't possibly be for a run of mill dad. Yes, it's for all of us. He said to the church, go into all the world and preach the gospel Another one, teaching, uh, you know, one of the roles as dads is to be a provider. You can't be a provider without a work ethic. I know a lot of you men and some of you have great work ethics. Some of you don't. You know who you are. I don't, I'm not, I don't have anyone in mind, <laughs> just so you know that. I, I, I didn't. I have no one in mind. I do know some of the guys that have a strong worth ethic because it stands out above the crowd. Some of you that don't, I don't know who you are, really. And no one's in mind, thankfully, I can say that, that not a single name comes into my head. I've met people in my lifetime that I've found that names come into my head. But some of you don't have a work ethic, and some of you don't teach your kids any work ethic. If you've got a son or daughter and they've reached the age of 16, 17, they still don't do any work, not work around the house, not work anywhere. Not you realize that laziness is also a sin? And it leads people to hell? Do you realize that Jesus had taken the lazy servant and cast him into everlasting darkness? I think in America today, parents have come to the conclusion that laziness is not sin. It is sin. Amen? The lazy and unprofitable servant, if you've got teenagers and sons and daughters and even little ones that aren't learning to work, when we read about the persecuted church around the world, I'm amazed at some of the work that little five-year-olds do. And I'm like, this is so foreign to America. But this wasn't foreign 50, 60, 70, 100 years ago. People all, the whole family worked together. Dad's leadership and providing was a model for everyone to learn, sons and daughters, Very important. That's a discipleship thing. If they don't work with their hands, they won't work for Christ. Because it's not easy to do the work of the church. And this is why Paul said, if a man doesn't serve well in his house, how will he serve in the church of Christ? Of course he can't. Sam taught on that very well. I don't need to redo his message. But God says, if you do well in the home, teaching, discipleship, prayer, worship, work ethic, all of these things, discipline, Right? Discipline. We don't just you know, open the pantry and eat any time we want, all the time we want. We discipline ourselves to make wise choices, better decisions, led by the Holy Spirit. This is why fasting is actually good for actually bringing the body under control. Amen? It's a problem in America. We are a society that whatever we want, instantaneous gratification, gratification, and work is not instantaneous. Whereas Jesus said in the parable of the sower, you see you see, the servant is actually out there working the field and then waiting for God to bring in the harvest. I love the verse in Ecclesiastes. Uh, it, goes, it, I, it goes for our time, our talent, our treasure. Cast your bread upon the waters, and in many days it will come back. Are we teaching our kids that? To cast their time upon the water, their talent upon the water, their treasures upon the water, and watch God in many days, maybe ten years from now, their cousin gets saved because they faithfully prayed. Maybe their work ethic and they don't have a job. Go cut your neighbor's lawn for free. Well, why would I do that? They're not going to pay me because they might actually say, Wow, I've never seen a young man cut a grass for free, all in the name of Jesus Christ. Do you see how work ethic and fishers of men come together? Well, I never thought of that. There's so many things we're missing because dads aren't teaching, dads aren't learning. If they're not learning from God, they can't teach. If I haven't received, I can't give. I can only give what I'm receiving from the Lord. Go do something. Say, I don't have a job. I'm waiting. I can't have it. I'm not employed right now. Go serve somebody then. You'll be amazed that when you do, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. When you do, God will open up doors that currently are locked shut. And they will remain locked shut until God says, until you go and do these things. Paul said this. 2 2 Thessalonians 3.10. We commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Wow, Paul, where's the love, dude? (laughs) Where is the love, Paul? If he doesn't work, he doesn't eat. That's not the rule of law in America. It's the rule of love from God. Amen? Amen. Because when you serve others and say work is actually giving of yourself, that's why we're called to be servants of the Most High. Servants of the Most High. Slaves of Jesus Christ. We do do these things. Work ethic comes along with it, and it takes work to pray. It takes work to worship. It takes work to read your Bible when you don't want to. We live by what we know, not by what we feel. And we do these things, and God gives you the power to do it. These last two are going to be really brief intentionally. He's compassionate. The, the, the Father that is eternally minded is compassionate. He has a spirit of gentleness. You know, Jesus was meek and lowly in his heart, and he had compassion on the multitude. You know, that says of the Father that God, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Isn't that great? Aren't you glad God's gracious and compassionate? How many of us have messed up and received the chastening of the Lord? But we didn't receive the wrath of the Lord. We didn't receive the destruction from the Lord. We didn't receive, we're six foot under, right? God is gracious. And dads, we're to be gracious. We're to be compassionate men. This is so lacking uh, in society. We actually have, we actually have kind of a, a, a two polar opposites, right? We have non existence and we have complete misrepresentation of God and dads that are. Kind of wrathful, violent, right? Impatient. Don't have time. Quiet kid, I don't have time for you. Two polar opposites, or completely not there at all. But compassionate is something that the Lord wants and demands in dads. We have an epidemic of absent dads, but we also have an epidemic of abusive dads. Amen? One of the qualifications to be a church leader is gentleness. Gentleness. Bearing with the weaknesses of others. Are we gentle? This kind of compassionate heart only comes from walking and talking with Jesus. It only comes from walking and talking with Jesus. 1 Peter 3.7 says, Husbands, likewise... Dwell with your wives. Likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, right? Understanding, giving them, giving honor to the weaker vessels, being heirs together, the grace of life, that your prayers might not be hindered. Fathers, husbands, are your prayers being hindered because you're not loving your wife with tenderness, with gentleness, Are your harsh words, you know, is there harshness in your language? Jesus said, no, 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 compassionate. You'll be able to lead your children when you have a heart of compassion. They'll see that the compassion is really genuine and that it comes from God, right? You want them to see Christ in you, not just talk about the things of Christ, but actually that they would see Christ in you. See, the compassionate dad, he cares not only for his own home as well. I mean that that obviously everything we've gone and looked at so far goes without saying that the eternally minded dad will be compassionate and speak gently to his wife, gently to his children, firm at times, because that's needed, right? But in love and in the spirit of gentleness which is in Christ. But not only will he have compassion for his own home, just like the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. Notice that he didn't just have compassion for his own household. He had compassion. His eyes went beyond the four walls of his own home. Now, we need to start with dads having compassion in their own home. But it doesn't end there, guys. That the eternally minded Father models that Jesus, who was well at home with the Father, left his home because he had compassion on those on earth. Are you willing to leave the house to show compassion for other people? And your kids will see it say, not only does my dad love my mom and shows compassion, but he loves and shows compassion to me, but he actually loves the neighborhood kids. He actually loves the kids he's never met before. He actually gives to little children in India or whatever, and and Africa, and loves children. Jesus said, let the little children come unto me. We know that there's an outward view as well. His heart has been made like his Heavenly Father, who so loved the world. I was so encouraged yesterday at the outreach seeing dads serve the community and sharing their faith or just inviting people to have a hot dog. I mean, some of them, you know, all new for them. But their kids got to see dad loving on others. So important that kids see that. It's so opposite of a self-centered generation, a self-centered mindset that godly fathers love other people, not just their own home. I love to, it's one of the reasons I love to go to Bonaire, 70% plus, I, I, it's closer to probably 80-some percent of the kids there from single-parent homes, and to love on those kids. Many if you know, I don't have any sons. I have three daughters. I don't have any sons. There's probably a lot of reasons for that, and only God knows them. But I start to wonder at the age of, you know, 44, God, uh, do I only have daughters? Because... As a pastor, you want me to better serve the fatherless because there's a lot of them in America. And to go serve these young men. And when I'm in this one unit, I, was in, uh, I can't tell the unit number, but you know, when I come in there and I can see their face lot, like, Pastor Tim, you're here. Not that there's anything special about me. They're just not used to having anyone disciple them and teach them. And over 15 years now, as I've been saved, I've discipled men from... About the fourth year after salvation, I realized, God, I need to get in the game and do whatever. And I've been discipling men for the last 15 years of my 19 years in, or 18 years in the Lord. Compassionate. Are you a compassionate man? A compassionate father? Do you have compassion on the lost? Or do you say, No, I didn't have compassion on my own family. Why would I have compassion on them? Last one courageous. We close with, He's courageous. Eternally my Father is courageous. Jesus, he was compassionate enough to weep over Lazarus, yet he was strong and bold enough to drive out the money changers out of the temple. We see that that, um, uh, dual characteristic of gentle and yet a courageous Savior. Now, we're never going to be asked to do that. That's that's unique to Jesus, but to see the picture that Jesus was a man of great, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. When the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, you will have courage. Courage comes from the Spirit of the Lord coming on you. Courage is not manufactured. I remember when I was unsaved, we talked about can courage. You guys know what that is? Yeah, if you spent time at the bar scene, you know what I'm talking about. We used to talk about that. Laugh about it. Jesus, that's why being drunk with wine gives you one kind of courage, but being filled with the Spirit gives you a completely different kind of courage. You go into, you'll go into lion's dens with that kind of courage. You'll go into fiery furnaces with that kind of courage. You'll take on difficult things, including the laziness of your own flesh, with that kind of courage. Jesus would weep over Lazarus, but yet he would drive them out for, for mocking the name of God and stealing from the people. They were stealing from the people. Joshua 1.6 says, Only be strong and of good courage. The eternally minded Father lives for others, not himself. We don't live for ourselves. Our life's but a vapor anyway. This is why we think of the men who fought in the Revolutionary War. We look at them as heroes, don't we? The men that fought on the sands of Iwo Jima or those who stormed the beaches of Normandy those that went into the towers on 9-11 risking their own lives, we think of them as courageous and fearless, don't we? Are you walking in courage, dads, or are you walking in discouragement? Walking in courage or discouragement? Because only God re- replaces discouragement with courage and power. It takes courage to live for others and to stand for Christ. The easiest thing in the world is to not stand for Jesus Christ. Everybody does that. I mean, most people do. I mean, you don't have to do anything different to not stand for Christ. You have to do a lot of things differently to take courage and be a Joshua or a Daniel or a Moses and move forward and then saying, yes, Lord, I'll take up the cross and follow you. Courage comes from love and faith. Courage comes from love and faith? That's where it comes from, love and faith. The opposite of courage is to run and to hide and avoid what is difficult, but perfect love casts out fear. It comes from the Word of God, truth, not feeling. The Holy Spirit will help us to be as bold as a lion in today's system that is constantly attacking biblical fatherhood. It's constantly attacking it. I need boldness as a father. I need need courage as a father. It's hard to live in these days. The apparently minded dad, he's resolute. He's willing to stand alone if needed while protecting his family. Are you willing to stand alone if you have to? Now, you won't be alone. Paul said, yea, all men have forsaken me, yet not the Lord. Paul said, everyone had forsaken me, but not the Lord. And this is why Joshua, and you, know the, you know the passage, I love it. Hopefully you love it. I love to live by it. Joshua twenty four fifteen And if it seems evil for you to serve the Lord, in other words, if you don't want to, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods that your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites and whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house. Joshua said, we might be the only house on the block. We might be the only house in the valley. We might be the only house in the city. We're going to take courage and serve the Lord. Boy, kids will get behind a dad that's committed to Christ, that's compassionate, and has the courage to say, God is with us, who can be against us? Romans chapter 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? It stills courage, it comes from that faith. Many men, they protect everything but their children's minds, hearts, and souls. What else is there? If your kids don't go to heaven, what have you gained? Do you hear that? Many men will protect everything but their kids' hearts, minds, and soul. I got money for college for them. Yeah, maybe I don't have the best relationship with mom, but I I got everything taken care of. I got this. Yeah, they they have internet, TV. They have this. They have that. I took care of all the basics, right? What basics? Heart, soul, mind? Oh, no! not that basics, the, the, the food basics. We have, we have food in the house, we have all these things. Yeah, but even the unsafe person does that. We're bringing them to salvation and then to discipleship and walking and maturing and growing. I love this as we come to a close. When I look at the patriarchs, the fathers of old, you look back to a man like Abraham, we're all, you know, even at Romans tells us we all come from the spiritual seed of our father, Abraham. Spiritual seed. Those of you who are Jewish, you actually come biologically as well. But uh, the rest of us, if we're not, we come from... And I look back at Abraham, and you know God does an amazing work in a man when he not only looks to his own family, and he not only looks to other people, but he looks to the future generations, and he's not even there in the future generations. Only the Holy Spirit can. God takes Abraham out and says, Abraham, look up. Genesis 15, 5, then he brought him outside and said, look now towards heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. That's not easy. And he said, so shall your descendants be. And Abraham was warned by that thought that not only would he follow God, but many after him would. That's the opposite of self-absorbed in the moment, folks. This was looking to massively in the future generations. Do you know how many stars there are? He's looking to the multiplication, exponential multiplication. God says, I've given you a love not only for your own household and those outside, but even future babies that will be born in the years thousands after you. That's a legacy. That's an eternally minded dad we see in Abraham. And lastly, he's content. And Abraham again was content. Remember, Abraham was content to have the land that God gave him. Lot wanted the world stuff. Lot says, give me Sodom, or at least near it, the fertile plains. Abraham, you'll be content with the scrubby stuff. And Abraham said, yeah, you're right, because the Lord will stand with me. So Lot, go ahead and take the stuff. You're not content. You want the world. Lot did. And guess who rescued Lot later? Uncle Abraham, with faith and courage, Lot is taken captive by the enemy himself because he has no contentment. And then his uncle, who's content, actually exhibits great faith and courage in coming to rescue him. Abraham exhibits that courage, that standing for the Lord, that walking with the Lord, that willingness to teach others. So, so different. The faith to obey and follow, what will it do in our life? will employ the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Employ the power of the Holy Spirit. But there has to be commitment as we close. I mean, what, what, what now? What do we do now? What, uh, you know? I, I'm, I'm convicted by the Holy Spirit. I'm not a dad that's eternally minded. I'm not. I mean, if you're sitting there and the Lord is just pressing you on the point and the Lord's saying, where is your at? He's knocking on your heart saying, where are you at? Are you really eternally minded or are you earthly minded, worldly minded, temporal? You know, this isn't meant to, uh, this isn't meant to discourage. Everything I've read is from the word of God, except for the two stories A- and my own experiences in life, which have been God's story in me. We're all living epistles. Amen. Everything I've given you is from God's word. Like I said, it would be more humorous if God wasn't so grieved by the state, but we know as we get closer to the end, it is a grievous state. And Paul said, what have I to do with the world outside? I can't go fix unsaved people, but I can counsel the household of God. Amen? I can counsel the household of God, and this is what God says. And if you're really a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're one of his children, you know God is a God of second chances, third chances. Fourth chances. And he wants you to renew the commitment as a father. If you've not done it, I'm going to have the worship team come up. And they're going to come up right now. (laughs) At times, more clarity is needed, I don't know. And as they play, as we come to a close, I don't know what they prepared, whatever song they prepared. But if you're a dad and you say, this isn't to point out, pick out, but if you say, you know, I, I want to I want to commit. See, it's one thing to hear what Pastor Billy had to say a couple of months ago. It's one thing to sit through Sam pushing us all for three hours beyond which many wanted to go. And I know that. I could see the pain in some faces. I saw it. Sometimes I wish I could keep people from the pain, of, but Jesus won't. I have to get out of the way of God and say, Lord, you deal with them as you wish. And and me too. <laughs> because I know what it feels like to have the hand of God put upon me and say, you are going to go through this whether you like it or not, and you'll thank me later. Right? And it's true. I'm a better pastor because of some of your trials and tribulations. I'm a better father because of some of the things that happened in the family. I'm better for the lord because of what he allows us to go through but each time i have to really god will teach me something that i have to commit to it all right lord i hear you i'll do it and so it's one thing to hear what billy said one thing to hear what sam said one thing to hear what i've reminded you from but as the worst team plays if you're a father it says i don't want to just hear it i want to recommit or commit it that i want to be a godly eternal mighty father and and i will i'm willing to sit down and look and let the scriptures be a mirror to me on which things are wrong, out of balance, out of whack, and do them. And if you want to come meet with me, I'll sit down with you. We'll be compassionate together to understand what can we do to move forward in this thing. Then you just stand and we'll pray with you as the worship team plays.